Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, the latest on the controversial Enbridge pipeline. But first, an in-depth look at school safety and gun reform. Students in Minnesota, throughout the country and worldwide, marching and calling for safer schools and action on gun violence as the heated debate about what to do next continues. I was there the day of the shooting. I lived through it and I lost four of my close friends. February 14th is supposed to be a day of love and appreciation for those around me. But now for me it is a day that I'll never forget. We want elected officials to pass common sense gun bills. We want action to save our students' lives. No! We want universal background checks. No! We want to ban straw person buyers. No! We want gun violence protection orders. No! We want to stop gun violence. No! Pass these bills. No! Save our families. No! Save our students. No! March. No! Lobby. No! Protest. No! Action. And no! gun violence. No! Thank you. We should not be arming teachers. Instead, we should be working on longer and more thorough background checks. And we should raise the age of buying a gun to 21 everywhere. And no one with any mental disability anywhere should ever be able to buy a gun. I, along with the other students and staff at Stillman Douglas, will keep working hard to have this all enforced and make change. Because tragedies like this should never occur again. Thank you. The nightmares and the crying and the anger have not stopped. And because of this tragedy, I don't see the world the same anymore. I see what I see the evil when I look at people rather than the goodness that I know everyone is full of. We love you! We love you! We love you! We love you! It's going to take you, the youth, and the conscience of the nation to stand up here on the Capitol steps and call bullshit. I shouldn't have to spend a decade preparing myself to get gunned down in a school. I shouldn't be getting slushies with my friends at the gas station. My biggest worry should be that the girl I have a crush on doesn't like me back. I'm just uh, a guy that loves hunting and, and enjoys using firearms, but I just don't believe that Congress is doing enough to protect children and protect um, 
do, the, do, the, do enough against gun violence. As a hunter, I just don't think you need a, a combat rifle that, that holds 45 bullets to, to go hunting. So I just don't believe the, the NRA's narrative. Tragically, 17 innocent lives later, we're still not any closer to solving the problem because, well, agenda. The FBI failed to protect these kids. The sheriff's office failed to protect these kids. School officials failed to protect these kids. And of course, we all know the resource officer blatantly failed to protect these kids. For some reason, none of these egregious failures matter. Because, well, we know that when a kid is riding his bike down the street and gets hit by a car, it's the NRA's fault. Just this week, a school shooting was stopped before a single innocent life was lost because a good guy with a gun put an end to it. You want to save innocent lives? Take the millions of dollars going to this carnival of a march and hire armed guards in schools all over this country. But then these kids would have to shrink from the spotlight and go back to their homework. And the forces funding them would lose the opportunity to further an agenda that's million times bigger than the guns. So no, it needs to be the NRA's fault. As one-sided, logic-deprived, and intellectually dishonest as I think this march is, I would defend the right of students to protest as vigorously as I spent the last 11 years protecting the Second Amendment. I'm here because I don't think that any child should have to go to school in fear or that their parents should have to send them to school for fear of them not coming home and that there needs to be a change. We say no more! <laughs> students demand action because we all deserve to be safe. We will not allow another generation to grow up seeing blood-soaked headlines every day. These marches, walkouts, and rallies have been powerful displays of solidarity and of our fervor for change. Thousands have participated across Minnesota, but some legislators still feel as though they can plug their ears and turn a blind eye to our demands. This November, it is time for us to show them that enough is enough. If our legislators refuse to discuss common sense gun measures, we must vote them out. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Continuing our look at gun violence, J.W. Cox talked to Joseph Olson, a law professor at Mitchell Hamlin University and the president of the Gun Owners Civil Rights Alliance, to get another side of this complex story. Thanks, Scott. Along with his current post, Professor Olson's credits include time spent in a leadership role with the group Academics for the Second Amendment, and he brings that analytical approach to this heated issue. The issue we're trying to solve is violence in American society. And violence is a human trait. It has nothing to do with inanimate objects. And when you attempt to deal with human traits, that is when you attempt to deal with uh, human beings who need to be either treated or imprisoned or otherwise removed from society by saying, well, we'll take away one object from you and we'll wait to see what you come up with next. So this is not going to solve the problem because the problem is a human problem. Olson says policies in place do not come close to being effective enough to enhance public safety. I mean, we have set up a mental health system 
since the 80s that makes it virtually impossible to commit someone, no matter how dangerous they are, because you have to make a decision that, oh, yes, I know he's dangerous. Oh, yes, I know he's going to blow up. Oh, yes, I know all this is going to happen. But I don't believe it's going to happen in the next six hours. And then you have to let him go, even though you know it's going to happen in the next week. So we have a, we have a mental health system that is, is really defective at reaching out to and, and corralling these people who need help. Also believe some blame for mass shootings lies at the feet of ineffective policies and government failings, specifically citing the massacre in Parkland, Florida. What did he have, 39 contacts with, with the school? And we have an Obama administration policy that says to the schools, if you don't expel them and you keep them and you reduce their criminal record by not reporting the instances to the police but by treating them as school discipline matters, you get money. So what did they do? They took the money. They moved him around. They sent him from one special school to another. Uh, They banned him from the school that he was at. But, of course, you're banned. Don't come here doesn't work. You have to have a fence. You have to have somebody to stop him. They knew they had a serious problem. They stuck their head in the sand. And now they're trying to blame us, gun owners of America, for the total failure of government to use the tools it already has to prevent these things. The Parkland school shooting sparked widespread public outcry and marches like those seen around the country last weekend. For Olson's part, he's skeptical of the intentions of organizers for those kinds of protests. That's not grassroots. That didn't prop up. Uh, there are anti-gun organizations out there which received $50 million about three years ago from Michael Bloomberg. And they had plans already made up. They had signs already made up. They had warehouses full of this stuff. They had uh, they've been creating organizations in each state. Uh, just waiting for the right occasion. The occasion came, they grabbed onto it, uh, and have been running with it ever since. Somebody's out there using these, these children. They're using them to attack gun owners. They're not using them to make them any safer. Olson did have a message for many of the school-aged children and teens who took part in those marches. If you want to be safe, help the school authorities identify the people who are likely to be problems to demand that the school authorities and the authorities generally don't cover it up by sending them to a special school and bringing them back, uh, but they deal with actually recognizing the problem and treating the problem instead of shoving it under the carpet. Three, insist that there be good security at the schools. As for the proposed solutions of stricter regulation on gun sales and background checks, Olson says government failings even stretch into the background check system. But why do they want a background check? It requires you to go to a dealer and get entered into his inventory, which means we now have your name and your gun on a government on a list that's available to the government. So gun owners recognize the slippery slope. You cannot have a confiscation system without a registration system and they're unwilling to take the first step to create the database. Anything you do to beat up on the 100 million responsible gun owners is not going to get the 50,000 bad folks, the nuts who flip out, pass through all, all the screening.
Olsen firmly maintains the mantra that a good guy with a gun is both a deterrent and a potential solution in an active situation. Someone comes into a school, into a house, into a store, into anywhere, and what's the first thing you do? You want to dial 911 because you want to get someone with the proper tools at the location of the incident as soon as possible. Uh, in some parts of Minnesota, it can be an hour because there are two deputies. There's a big county, and they're likely to be at the north end when your school is at the south end. Yeah, I know the NRA uses that slogan, but it happens to be true. <laughs> you dial 911 to get a good guy with a gun. In light of recent moves at the federal level to take steps to deal with potentially violent individuals, Olson is hopeful positive strides can still be made to curb gun violence. That's the only thing that's going to work. I mean, look at all the gun laws that we have in in Minnesota and the United States already, and how many people are shot every week in North Minneapolis? Dozens. Because we're not dealing with the people, and we're not dealing with the violence. We're trying to deal with it five steps removed by beating up on gun owners who live in Bowabic, Black Duck, Roseville, Apple Valley, and Wyndham. Beating up on the good does not change the conduct of the bad. More info about Professor Olson and the Gun Owners Civil Rights Alliance can be found at GoCRA.org. Scott, back to you. Thank you, JW. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. As the conversation about school safety and gun violence continues, one thing that may get lost in the shuffle is how big an impact traumatic events in the news can have on children and adolescents. I recently spoke with U of M family social science professor Dr. Abby Gewertz about the ways parents can help their kids cope with what can, at times, be a scary world. Yeah, I mean, I would say three things. Number one, listen first. Connect with your kids and listen first before sort of, you know, talking. Um, hear what your kids' concerns are. Hear what questions they have because they may be really different from the things that you thought you you should tell them or they may be thinking, um, you, you may have concerns that you would never, you wouldn't have imagined. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is disconnect from media um, we are flooded, absolutely flooded. Um, our kids, most of our kids have phones, and so they're getting real-time 24-7 news, and we can't get away from it. It's kind of an addiction. We find it really difficult to, to disconnect, and that means we're constantly being intruded upon, and I, I realize how ironic that is to be saying this on the radio, um, but everybody needs a break, and we especially need a break after a horrific incident like that, a time to reflect without um, being sort of pushed um, news and, you know, updates and pings and there's another thing going and there's another tweet um, and there's another, you know, Facebook uh, flash. Um, so I would encourage parents to help their kids disconnect by putting everyone's phones in a box and switching the TV off for 24 hours and the radio and just sit as a family and do family game night and um, talk and hear what each other has to say. And I think that really um, is, you know, important for recovering from um, sort of this bombardment of 
horrendous things. Um, and then, of course, um, parents need to have an opportunity to help their kids feel safe and to, um, and to share the reminder that the world is mostly safe, overwhelmingly safe. What do we know about how kids uh, process a story like this when it involves kids versus adults? Obviously, this is high school students that were shot. Is there, I know every kid is different, but is there a, a different way that that's processed by children when it's children involved as victims? Yeah, so I think you have to consider two things. One is um, kids have different cognitive capacities than adults, although um, adolescents, um, you know, adolescence is a time of remarkable brain development and Cognitively, you know, if you hear an adolescent argue, you think, well, <laughs> they're kind of arguing like an adult. Right? They understand many, many more things than a very young child, obviously, and they can engage in quite sophisticated, abstract reasoning. Um, what we know about adolescence is the emotional part of the brain isn't quite developed yet, the executive functioning, um, the capacity to delay gratification, um, to delay, um, you know, impulsive, to not engage in impulsive behaviors, that's um, developing still in adolescence. Um, what does that mean? It means that um, adolescents engage in thinking, for example, that can be more egocentric, that can really be about me, um, and then um, they can engage, you know, we call them fables, sort of stories about the fact that even though, um, you know, I know it's dangerous to drive drunk, that doesn't necessarily apply to me. Um, and that's part of the egocentrism and the fact that sort of emotional and executive function development lags behind the ability, say, to, to reason and to argue abstract um, in an abstract way. So, so I think that's, um, that's, that's something that's important to consider. I think the other thing that's really important to consider, and this is regards to all children, maybe a little bit less so adolescents, is that kids don't have control over their environment like we adults do. We determine... You know, we have we have make choices in life, and we, um, you know, m maybe not at work, but in most of our lives, we have a fair amount of control. And kids don't. People tell them what to do all the time, and they, you know, and that is difficult because the nature of a traumatic event is that it is totally uncontrollable, and that's what's so terrifying about it. Is you, it comes out of the blue. You ne never knew it was going to happen, and it's terrifying and terrorizing. And so, um, you know, I think when you, you have to, we have to remind ourselves, adults have to remind ourselves that kids are living in a world which already um, gives them a lot less control because we look after them because they're kids. But that can, can sort of play into the fear and the worry about uh, in the wake of a traumatic event. Thank you to my guest, U of M family social science professor, Dr. Abby Gewertz. Minnesota Matters returns after this. back to Minnesota Matters. Changing gears a little bit as we wrap up the show, a bill that would give Canadian-based Enbridge the go-ahead to upgrade its Line 3 pipeline through northern Minnesota is moving forward in the Minnesota House, and it's a controversial bill indeed, as MNN's Bill Warner tells us. Scott, Governor Mark Dayton says the proposed legislation would trample the authority of the Public Utilities Commission, the state agency with the responsibility to evaluate such requests. I can't believe that the, the, the author seriously thinks this bill is anything other than enhancing some people's re-election prospects. I mean, it's just so... It, it doesn't trample, it destroys the, the, the integrity of the Public Utilities Commission process, which has served the state so well 
for decades. I've said this before. Whoever established the PUC as a separate entity, uh, insulated from the legislature, from the governor's office, from the politics, to make these you know really complex and vitally important decisions, was brilliant and served the state so well. And I will oppose anything that will compromise, or in this case, destroy the, that integrity of the Public Utilities Commission and that review process. We asked the bill's author, Republican Representative Dan Fabian from Rosso, for his response. The governor says this is encroaching on the authority of the PUC. It's putting a very highly technical decision in the political realm. How do you respond to that? Well, you know, this has been vetted uh, a whole bunch, and I'm representing the people of northwest Minnesota and across northern Minnesota. We had Thief Every Day at the Capitol here uh, a couple of weeks ago. This is an issue that has very broad support and very wide support or strong support in my part of the state. Um, I think that it's time to move on and I appreciate uh, you know what's going on at the PUC. Um, my frustration is is that it takes so long to get to these decisions and if they feel like we're encroaching, listen, I don't have a say in who gets appointed to the PUC and I would like a little more regional balance in the PUC. I think that it's important to bring a rural perspective when you think about um, the members of the PUC, and I'm not criticizing them personally, uh, but you know when they live an average of 17 miles from uh, the state capital, it does give me some concern. There's nobody from north of the metro, and one of the things that I've talked about for a few years now is getting more what I would call regional representation on the PUC. Um, we have a fairly short construction season in Minnesota. Uh, we know we can't dig holes in the ground in December and January and February, as everybody knows. And I just want to move this project along. And I'm supporting the people of northern Minnesota in this. State Representative Dan Fabian. This is an emotional issue, to say the least, fueled by protests at Standing Rock, North Dakota, over the Dakota Access Pipeline. One example, during a state capitol hearing this week, this exchange between Irene Folstrom with the Minnesota Environmental Partnership's Duluth office, who's also a member of the Leech Lake Band of Ojibwe, and Republican Representative Pat Garofalo from Farmington, who chairs the Job Growth and Energy Affordability Committee. We've made it incredibly clear that if you try to build a pipeline in our treaty territory, it, there will be a response. We won't let it happen. So why, why keep proposing legislative proposals, proposals like this? Why bring it to this body when you know if it is approved through the Public Utilities Commission's process, that pipeline's not gonna get built? This is just inviting more violence. It's inviting a lot of, it's, it's gonna be a huge, huge cost to the state. If you think that Standing Rock was a big problem for the state of North Dakota, approve this pipeline or, or keep, keep introducing bills like this because then you, we'll see. Thank you. Ms. Fulstrom, did I hear you right? You said that if the pipeline is, if the PUC approves it, the pipeline won't be built? Not through our treaty territory, it will not be. We will not allow it. How do you propose to not allow it? I mean, I think we would agree that we live under a rule of law, and if the law permits the pipeline to be permitted, are you appealing to a higher level than the law? Um, well, the law really isn't isn't usually on the side of, of tribal communities anyway. So, uh, you know, I think that we would have uh, an issue with that. Um, I'm saying that there are people, there are there are Native people in our communities in Minnesota on the reservations right now in our tribal communities, citizens of this state. 
who we ha and we have said in tribal governments we have there are resolutions that have been passed I don't know if you've just ignored them or um, read them and don't think that they're 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 serious or take them take them seriously at all but we have said you cannot pass through our treaty territory. You cannot build more pipelines through our treaty territory. You've taken enough. You've done enough. We don't even need this pipeline. So that is what I'm saying. Well, Ms. Fulton, I understand that. No, you don't. You well, don't understand this clearly. Ms. Fulton, are you saying that if the Public Utilities Commission approves this pipeline, it's still not going to get built? I'm saying that you can go ahead and try. You know, we have worked hard on this to, to, try, to, to try to convey that this convey the message and to plead with you please don't approve this pipeline because you will be met with violence and we we, we just have been trying to to prevent this from that from happening we know what's going to happen we know in our communities and among our people what the sentiment is and this sentiment is no more enough is enough okay. well thank you for sharing your opinion i'll show you my opinion yes but please I, do um i did not hear from you a plea to not build a pipeline oh yes i, I what I heard, I, I, before I could just finish, and no, I'm happy to give you the last word. Go ahead, yeah, yeah. Okay. Give me your. I don't hear your a opinion. plea. I don't hear a plea to listen to not build a pipeline. Well, we I, I hear someone trying to instigate violence. Oh, you, you know what? If I'm uh, no, that is what I'm hearing. I'll give you the last. I'm the word. one that's on the bill. You're instigating the violence, okay. right? I'm uh, not no. instigating the violence. I, I'm here to prevent that. Steve Morris, executive director of the Minnesota Environmental Partnership, told MNN that Folstrom went beyond the testimony that she was authorized to present and is no longer authorized to speak with elected officials on this matter. Morris says the Minnesota Environmental Partnership opposes the pipeline, but in no way threatens any unlawful response to legislative actions. Scott? Thank you, Bill. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.